You're listening to the Philly Maker Fair podcast. My name is Laura Cheneau. And I am Valerie Chiquendo. And I'm Jeremy DePrisco. We're here celebrating the creators, builders, inventors, and artists that bring their visions to life at the Philly Maker Fair. This week, we're chatting with Michael Mastriani from City Line Drawings. City Line Drawings has evolved from a small series of Philly illustrations to a large line of housewares featuring 30 cities. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. It's so great to be here. Yay. It's great to have you. I'm excited. When did you start drawing Philadelphia and why did you start it off? I started drawing in the middle of 2017 and the idea of using maps as a background, which in a lot of our products then and now is, is part of the signature touch, came from the early drawings being on maps that I originally drew the Gerard Avenue trolley, which has been around since the 40s and has, is temporarily decommissioned. I drew it on the map for Route 15, which is, is what it covered, and then framed that as a joke. And then it ended up being the first original in my first show, which was <laughs> August of 2017 in a, a coffee shop in Brewery Town. That's also in our space. And what do you enjoy about like, clearly you enjoyed drawing the drawing. So, you know, what do you enjoy about doing it and running city line drawings? When I was growing up, my, my father who worked a lot in the arts had a lot of ideas for a family business and I never quite found a role in them. And then I created a, a great opportunity for one. And we've been having so much fun that even in the, the hard times, it's been fun to just have a family business. And that comes from a lot of the ceramics are made by my father in upstate Pennsylvania, where he turned part of his barn into a studio. And my mother also helps out with packaging and design. So we have been, that's been part of it since almost the very beginning. I originally just did prints, which is a lot of fun because I, I learned how to do that in high school art class with you know, basic supplies from what was then AC Moore, which is unfortunately <laughs> no more. And uh, a lot of things that I found around and just started making my own prints, including nice. for the first uh, show, just so people could buy something if they like the original and my father had the idea for doing the same thing with ceramics mugs tiles coasters and in the end uh, a lot of a lot of other things as well i know your family uh probably for well going on at least 10 or 15 years and um as a going away present when we moved to philly we were gifted a set of the the square coasters that you guys made uh, of the different buildings in Philadelphia. And uh, I mean, they're just, they blew me away in terms of the, the quality and the, the look of them. I, th I thought that uh, it was interesting that you were doing something family oriented as a business because your parents always talk very highly of you, um, but usually in the context of your globe trotting and all of the different things that you've done with your activism and, and work life. And uh, I didn't really know much about your artistic side uh, until I saw those. So very interesting. 
I never drew between high school and and 2017. Yeah. I was I was often pursuing other creative outlets or commercial interests. I think this was the first time that I tried a serious one that was both. And a lot of the the look that you're describing uh, is is my parents' influence in design and knowledge of materials. Mm-hmm. I I would never be able to do that. But the uh, the great thing is that every piece is also individually handmade one at a time. Right. And the the four pack of Philadelphia coasters you're describing is still our best selling product. And yeah. part of that is because of a an early partnership that is still going with a a maker store on North Third Street in Old City, Philly, uh, called Philadelphia Independence. And they were the first non-cultural institution to stock city line stock and they still stock those those coasters today wow. and it, it turns into a really good gift for for visitors and uh and new people to the region like you yeah. and and also just people who, who love philly awesome oh this is great i was just for the past couple of weeks i've been thinking about giving out non-philly friends philly specific gifts and uh Jeremy just gave me the idea. <laughs> I don't know where to get them from now. <laughs> supporting local, supporting artists, oh and I'm, and supporting I'm, a family business. Exactly. I'm so passionate about Philly and giving away Philly things. This is good. So, so who do you make? I know you said you started out as a joke. Tell us about that a little bit more. And then now you're selling something. So how did that transition from you were just making it to now you have an audience and a, and a, buyers that love your products the first show was well the first show was certainly not a joke i was taking it pretty seriously also because i was in the the company of a lot of very talented local makers and that has also been a really rewarding part of the whole process and also a reason to pursue it even if it wasn't necessarily uh profitable at the time in in the short term so the transition was was slow dues paying really i didn't even have an online presence for the first year or so i didn't have an online store until the second the end of the second year and a lot of my retail sales and the connections for commissions and jobs like wedding favors and things like that came from being present at uh, farmers markets makers fairs holiday markets around the philly region uh, also in the New York region, because the first place outside Philly I started drawing was New York, where I, I spent some time and I, I still work part time. And it was great having that meeting with the customers. I found that that was also something that uh, in in an online world with things like Etsy and a way of still getting direct from the the artist or the maker, a lot of these sorts of products, there's still a lot of value in that personal interaction that a lot of people were very pleased to have met the person making them, who was also describing the journey of the family business. And a lot of that became a part of the brand. And to this day, online sales worldwide are still maybe close to half of total retail sales. The rest are regional markets in New York, Philly, Washington, DC, and other areas that I can travel during those seasons. Of course, before the the pandemic shut a lot of that sort of thing down and we transitioned more to online sales only, which did carry us through. So I love that in-person interaction as well. I always find, you know, the Philly Maker Fair does it. I do a lot of craft shows myself and I love seeing people's reactions to your work so what's your favorite reaction that you've had somebody uh or your favorite story somebody's told you when you've like been in that situation where you're selling your stuff to the public 
It was last year. It was almost exactly a year ago now because it was June of 2020. I finished the largest, certainly the most involved and time-consuming project I've done, which was a complete illustrated map. As far as I can tell, the first complete illustrated map of Fairmount Park, the, the giant park in Philly with that includes a lot of uh, colonial estates and uh, an art collection spanning hundreds of years. It turned out to be more than 250 individual pieces and I turned it into a product that is um, either two foot by three foot or four foot by six foot as, as a wall hanging, um, generally as, as a poster print. And when we first uh, were ready to release it, it was at the it was the summer of 2020, so things were getting, it was June of 2020, and things got, um, things were getting a little difficult throughout the country for various reasons regionally, and we wanted to give people an opportunity to, uh, to give in their own way, so we created uh, a release that included the first 10 prints would be free with, uh, well, not free, um, they were they were raffled off to anyone who made a sizable donation to any recognized, uh, you know, NGO or local charity or religious organization, whatever they wanted to do, and then sent some sort of, you know, receipt or confirmation, and then they got entered in to win one of these ten prints. Uh, most of the people were, of course, from Philadelphia or at least had lived here because. Uh, we often have a very personal connection to Fairmount Park, like New Yorkers do to Central Park or, uh, you know, that, that sort of relationship. And when someone won one of them and it was local to me in my neighborhood, uh, the husband picked it up and presented it to the wife and just seeing her reaction in person where she was like covered her mouth and leapt up and down. It was like <laughs> to see someone so happy to get a, a piece of mine that was also very new and had taken so long. And there were occasionally times when I thought, I, I, why am I even doing this? This is, <laughs> no one's going to want this or it's not going to look the way I'm seeing it in my head. And then to see someone who had never seen it before and never met me and never has never met me again, to just be so happy to have something I created was really you know, one of those moments where this is why I've decided to pursue this. Nice story. Yeah, great story. Very nice. <laughs> I can picture her too. Did she jump? <laughs> yeah, I wish jumped. I had a video. That would have been a fantastic uh, Instagram video or something. <laughs> but I guess it, it's also more special because we just had to watch. Yeah. <laughs> we just got to watch. It. Yeah, sometimes you just have to have the life moment and not document it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. The eternal dilemma of the photographer. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh when when did you start making yeah i heard you say in high you didn't uh draw till high school so i wonder if there's anything else you did uh in the making space prior to that i've done some work on three-dimensional projects that were usually someone else's i i helped out a lot at art festivals in new york uh, one specifically called figment which is still running and was started on governor's island which is a great um, public space, former army base in New York Harbor. And it's, uh, it's very special to New York because it's one of the few places where you can't have cars, mm. except on, under very special circumstances. So it's great for kids. And I loved helping people build you know, sculptures that kids could climb on or um, a very durable mini golf course and, <laughs> and projects like that. And it really got me back into large scale public art projects and uh, a 
lot of the people I, I know in this neighborhood are involved in or work for the mural arts project here in Philly, which is probably certainly by square foot, one of the largest public arts organizations in the world. Uh, since we have, I think we have the largest collection of public art and maybe public murals uh, in, in at least the country. Although the, the more I see some European cities where they've completely covered, you know, ancient ruins with murals, I think Philly might be falling a little bit behind. <laughs> and yeah, a, a lot of those connections have, have fed the desire to keep this going. And it's also been a, a bunch of uh, fun collaborators. And I think that's why I got back into it. But in the middle, I was usually helping out with other people's projects uh, or at least other people's designs and, and concepts and then trying to find practical ways of making them uh, you know, possible in physics or safety or public access that was largely ungoverned, especially in a place like New York, where you have to be very careful about what you're offering to the public in terms of safety and you know, public health considerations. So uh, that was that was what I did in a lot of the interim between uh, when I was working more as an individual artist. In that same vein, um, I was looking at a little bit at your Jolly Minus the Trolley, which is a really interesting collaborative outdoor public piece that you're working on. So tell us some more about Jolly Minus the Trolley. <laughs> that I'm I'm assuming that that will go down in my memory as one of my favorite things I, I ever thought of doing, especially because I, I didn't do it close to alone. Uh, when they took the trolley that inspired the first uh, map drawings and prints and a lot of the other popular things we ended up making, it came off the rails. Uh, sorry, not, not literally. Uh, they 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 took it out of commission. <laughs> <laughs> there was no accident. Yeah. Uh, they took it out of commission to pretty much pull each of the eighteen trolleys apart piece by piece and and you know clean them and maintain them. And these were built in the forties by a company that doesn't exist anymore. So I'd imagine this is a massive undertaking. And I think also the state uh, transportation department needs to um, upgrade a bridge that the that the trolley runs over. So we didn't have this tradition where they would decorate all these trolleys in Christmas lights and some of them would go crazy and have little Santas and things on the, well, I guess you couldn't put it on the roof, but on the front, uh, they were all sorts of decorations and we weren't gonna have it for uh, Christmas of 2020. And so I had this idea before uh, we learned of the pandemic. So when in November we had this unseasonably warm weather and this opportunity to do a project like this safely when this neighborhood really needed to pick me up because we had this idea before we really needed to pick me up. We just thought it would be a fun way to keep this tradition going. And a bunch of artists came out, some of them just because they walked past and saw what we were doing. We got a lot of interest in, in the community to the point that uh, people's relatives and friends from outside my neighborhood of brewery town were coming to see us work on this and put it up and it became a bit of a of a, of a selfie wall <laughs> i guess suppose <laughs> where people were taking a lot of photos and videos of themselves because we created a 16 foot long uh, plywood replica of the trolley profile decorated the windows with individual portraits of 
predominantly Philly associated people and also orange fur beasts, like, <laughs> like the Flyers mascot, <laughs> Gritty, <laughs> who That's to anyone so not Philly. familiar with Gritty, I, I can't even begin to just Google Gritty and I yeah. can't, yeah, I, can't I, I, I envy <laughs> the adventure you're about to go on. <laughs> love Gritty. Um, I don't care so what anybody says. <laughs> I, I love it too. It is, it, it's, uh. it's just fantastic, especially from, from an artist's perspective of when you just let creativity go and experience express the spirit of the city and the mascot <laughs> so all of the sports mascots uh will smith young will smith from fresh prince of bel-air and uh john coltrane who uh spent a few years in uh, the neighborhood just north of us uh we included kamala harris because it was pretty history making a uh, you know moment no matter what your politics we had the first female executive in the u.s so we thought that would be a good yeah, we'll, we'll accept her. That's good. Especially <laughs> since, you know, given the demographics of our neighborhood, we, you know, we really wanted to make sure everyone felt represented and inspired in some way or other. Um, Meek Mill, who's a, a rapper in Philly, who's brought a lot of attention on uh, criminal justice struggles and uh, the Philly fanatic. And we, <laughs> we lit it all up with Christmas lights. Our, our neighbor who also supports the, the community garden that we put it up in front of, uh, provided the electricity to run it. And it was partially because people loved it so much and partially because I never got the opportunity to take it down. Uh, we were le- going to leave it there for the six weeks of the holiday season and we left it up for six months. So mm. I'm, I'm glad to say that we overbuilt it and it survived. In fact, we might uh, do a few retouches and bring it back next year and because it just seemed to be a something that really brought the community some joy and also we're not going to have the trolleys again until the holiday season of 22 at the earliest so. where do you start it. when it's not up <laughs> we, we have buses but we we weren't going to make a christmas bus <laughs> <laughs> because the trolley's so distinctive yeah septa doesn't normally bring the word jolly to mind for me yeah. this was yeah and it, it was not uh although uh, septa is aware of the project uh, uh-huh. we, we didn't do it in association with anyone official uh, yeah yeah this, well, this was what did you official. ask valerie uh, where is it stored I, yeah i asked where oh i'm sorry where's it yeah, stored where store it? yeah. it's it's made out of two four foot by eight foot plywood sheets so i just dismantled it folded it in half and put it in our neighbor's basement against the wall <laughs> you won't even notice it was there <laughs> um, which is funny because the original trolley is so loud and uh and causes a vibration in all the all the buildings on our block yeah. that uh it's pretty hard to ignore the real trolley <laughs> I love it. I love interactive community art. It's something that I'm passionate about as well. So I saw that and I was like, oh, this is so cool. And uh, you did get especially lucky with the kind of pandemic, not lucky, but you know, because nobody would have wanted to get on a trolley and hang out last year at all, right? I mean, if the opportunity had happened, it wouldn't have happened. So like the, I love that serendipity that you were like, oh, I'm going to do this. And then it ended up being like the only option because we don't hang out in trolleys together. The silliness of it was was also part of the joy, I think. In fact, we, we leaned into that because our neighborhood, or at least the one just north of ours, is now somewhat famous for uh, the urban cowboys which is mm-hmm. a local horse riding club mm-hmm. and uh, there was recently a movie made about it starring idris elba which has brought international fame to 
to their activities. So we put an urban cowboy and his horse on the trolley <laughs> uh, with the horse sort of sticking his head out the panel, looking bemused by the whole situation. <laughs> as far as I know, no one's tried to bring a horse onto the trolley. So uh, yeah, we, <laughs> not yet. It's Philly though. <laughs> that is true. And also a lot of Philly art is, is a little bit, you know, are they being silly? Are they reflecting life here or both? <laughs> so I've definitely seen some animals on the trolley, but never a horse. <laughs> oh, I love it. Let us know when you see one. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Hopefully it'll come back. So are there any other makers that artists uh, that inspire you? I... I think that I'm mostly inspired by artists who will never know who they were, like early American folk artists, especially since a lot of their, their art told the story of where we come from and where we were going, even though they don't tell, uh, the, well, they, they do tell a personal story about the artist, especially since they choose what to make or in what style to make things right down to the, um, the embroidery forms that were, were coming out a lot in the early 20th century and people were choosing uh, how to how to create them. A lot of the things that I find in antique stores or thrift shops or also a lot of the, um, I'm fortunate enough to live very close to the Philadelphia Museum of Art. In fact, they were my first uh, market client. I uh, The four-pack Philly Coaster set, which includes the art museum. Uh, was was first sold in their museum store in 2018 and that was my first uh, commercial hookup they have a, a massive collection of american folk art as well as the barnes foundation nearby and a lot of the other museums in philly so i've always had a lot of inspiration by uh, what you know the more modest artists or uh, unknown artists decided to create and and how and a lot of my drawing style is i think reflective of that early and and current influence in that it's never really perfect. In fact, some details might be a little bit off or in one embarrassing case on the Independence Hall missing for a while until I fixed it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, that it's, it's more of the impression that I've also never had anyone look at it and say, I don't know what that building is. If they, you know, if, if they are local or have some connection to it or in other cities that I've expanded to. So I always managed to capture what people see in everyday uh, sources of local identity or local pride. And I think that's what a lot of the best folk art embodies. So that that was definitely a lot of the reason that I, I chose to make more affordable commercial versions of what is also sometimes, you know, very large commissions that are individual and I, I never reproduce or, or sometimes even photograph. So Wow. The yeah, the originality of folk art and and just the diversity as opposed to looking at an entire gallery or an entire museum of, of post impressionism or classical sculpture, which are all uh, I'd spend hours in any one of them, but I don't think that I would be inspired to create something as much as a gallery of folk art or or an interesting old uh, Appalachian antique store where you're finding a lot of the things that people were making in their spare time in the, you know, the late 1800s, early 1900s. Yeah, something very unique and personal about it where he's making one thing and it's all about what you want to make at that time and you move on to the next one. So it's, it's awesome. Yeah, 
I'm, I'm also inspired by a lot of the current makers who take the same cues. And that's another reason I love doing markets is they are a lot of time. It's, it's sort of like a, a social schedule unto itself in the seasons when we were able to do that sort of thing. But it was kind of a social schedule because you were also seeing what the other makers you were used to seeing were up to or meeting new ones and occasionally trading works that you weren't selling because one of the, hey, I like your drawing. Well, I really like your rug. And, you know, all of a sudden they've got a drawing. I've got a rug. And in fact, this, <laughs> this room is full of things that were mostly traded in some cases bought at, at other at, at fairs where I met a lot of other people doing similar things. And I just really liked the direction they were going. And, uh, you know, we, we made a connection that really helped me figure out what to draw next or how, or, or how to market it or, or which markets to try next. I miss that part of the in-person fair mm -hmm. so It's much. been rough. Talking to the people is one thing, but I totally forgot about the like, Oh yeah, you want to trade later? <laughs> you know, like, yep. like that was such a great will be again. <laughs> such a great interaction and opportunity, and a great uh, way to get <laughs> gifts for family and friends ourselves too. Because yep. I gave out a couple city line projects for holidays, mostly because they were requested in some way or other. But I also didn't want to be that maker that was, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy Birthday. Here's another thing that I made. <laughs> Trading with things that I thought, oh wow, you make something this person would really like or really yeah. look good in. That was that was a great way of of solving the 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 gift giving responsibilities for the year. I love it. I love it. It's true though. It's true though. You don't want to keep like once, once you do the thing you made, right? But then next year, do you give it again? No, <laughs> the same way. Yeah, I gave it the year that I thought this was probably going to be the only year I did stuff like this. And right. Then, well, <laughs> served me right. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to switch gears a little on you. If you could be an animal, what would you be and why? Oh boy, if I could be an animal. Well, I have two house cats and they seem to have a great life. There are, there are times I look at one of them and I think I'm never going to be as happy as you are in this moment right now. Uh, That's a good answer. I mean, I'd really like to be a hawk, especially around uh, this neighborhood. That would be a great way to get around and see what's up and top of the food chain and all. Uh, yeah, I mean, given given where I live and my experience in, in Pennsylvania and, and also New York, I'd say a hawk. That's a pretty great way to live. I like this one. Fly around, bird's eye view. Nice yeah, I'd be able to get some... for drawing. <laughs> I was, yeah, because my roommate has, is a drone pilot and he, he shoots commercial videos with drones all the time. And sometimes I ask, do you have footage of each state penitentiary? Because I don't know what it looks like from 600 nice. feet in the air, but you do. That's handy. Yeah, cool. yeah. I was recently commissioned to draw a, a, a sort of tilted aerial view of Eastern State Penitentiary as part of a larger project. And there were a lot of, there was the floor plan, there were the profiles, and I was, I was plotting it out like an architect and then thought, oh, wait, I live right next to someone who has a photo of it from exactly where <laughs> I need it. And, and that really helped me start the drafts on the individual buildings from, from each angle. So Cool. Very cool. That was a, that was a fun project. What types of art do you most enjoy? Like, uh, and what you do, drawing buildings? Or do you, is there any ones that you find most favorite? I enjoy drawing things that are impossible. Personally, <laughs> I have a 
series or a bunch of series of drawings that are one of the most popular non-building prints that I've made is a, a drawing of a woman covering her eyes, but her third eye and the center of her forehead is open. Yeah. Um, I've drawn also another popular one that I've, I think I sold the original a couple of years ago. I sold a bunch of prints of is of a of a Mayan jaguar woman profile uh, matching the profile of a jaguar and the profile of a woman at the eye and sort of scaling them in and i'm working on a couple other things like that for um, a project for a local uh, burger joint that's also a community kitchen and a friend of mine is helping them redesign their walls and we're we're drawing you know, burgers and condiments you know having parties or joining a band or <laughs> <I love it. laughs> uh, two two burgers uh, fencing with toothpicks and and funny things oh, like wow. that so my favorites are the things that make me laugh a little bit uh, that make other people laugh or look twice especially since um in in philly a lot of georgian and neoclassical buildings just all sort of blend together especially in, when you get into the details and you get really good at them through repetition but sometimes it's just fun to do something surreal and you know, whether or not people are going to like it and that's probably my favorite art to make uh, the art I like that that changes a lot like I, I just read a book on the impressionists that both made me like and dislike them as a group and yeah. some of the individuals <laughs> my dad told me very early on if you like someone's art you shouldn't learn too much about them sometimes and <laughs> Yeah, that's, <laughs> that that's some happens. real truth right there. Yeah. <laughs> that might apply to me as well. I'm not sure how many people should listen to this. No, <laughs> no. It applies uh, a I, lot to to even like musicians. You know, there's a lot of musicians that I yeah I idolize, and then I find out more about them. I'm like, oh shoot. <laughs> oh shoot. <laughs> yeah, authors as well. It's just, yeah. I, mean, I guess learn. a lot of artists yeah. can be crazy, but some were just not great people. Yeah. <laughs> That's another reason I like folk art is between the anonymity of it and the likelihood that it represents, you know, groups in, of Americans that were not represented very well in, in the arts and also in in general in politics mm -hmm. and society. Uh, the, you know, the likelihood that someone's illustrating something, you know, really genuine about their situation or America's situation at the time is is very appealing and. You know that is what you learn about the artist. There, there's there's no personality or ego involved. Well, there's I mean there's a lot of personality, but there's there's no individual, um, you know, identi identification beyond what someone decided to make and how. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about what Jeremy mentioned earlier on about you've done more than art. You've traveled globally. You've done you know things in that you know this space of. Um, social justice i think you mentioned that and just other things that you've done in general do you want to touch on and kind of give us um, some more information about yourself in that regard it's it's often connected to i mean since i started drawing and and started selling products related to it it's it's certainly been connected i one of my the first times that city line got a media mention was because I have a career in healthcare and I'm a part-time maker with a family business that makes yeah. things. And I was headed to Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria to help with, uh, you know, pre preventative health and public health efforts in some of the outlying areas that were having a, a slower time getting, getting back on their feet. 
And when I came back, I decided that all of my holiday sales, I could uh, donate to efforts that I had. I already had the on the ground intel that these places need money. They would use it very well. They're coordinated with others and connected to the community and doing something the community actually wants. And you don't always know that. I think that's a reason that a lot of people decide not to engage or not to donate to things that they have strong feelings for, but they also have strong feelings for not wanting to contribute to, to a, you know, a social ill or something that's not going to help. Right. And that, that was, I guess that was part of the value add was my personal experience was helping uh, other people guide their giving experience. And also you got a product that you wanted to give as a gift or, and also have a more personal connection to. And that started a lot of the, uh, the innovations in uh, social justice as well as, because I don't know how innovative city line is artistically or in, or their, our products, but a lot of the ways that we've allowed people to connect to them or choose them have been. And that includes raffling off the Fairmount Park poster last year, or in some cases, raffling off a commission to someone who had just bought a house uh, or someone, you know, to wanted to give uh, a, an individual original as a gift that I, I created and, and framed and delivered for free if, they were able to donate to the um, fire services in Australia fighting bushfires at the end of 2019. And we also did some related social media drives that helped, helped me create some new content and some new products, but also allowed people to, to donate to something that seemed like it was all over the news, but people weren't really sure uh, how to engage. So I did a little bit of research and it turned out that a lot of the fire uh, agencies in the Australian states directly accepted donations. So anyone who got one of our Australian city sets would, would donate directly to, to them or anyone who bought anything from CityLine over a, uh, a matter of a couple of weeks would have a percentage of, of, their, um, of their sales donated to a specific organization. And a lot of those connections became part of the social media of, of CityLine drawings as a business. So it all sort of fit together and um, it, it's also helped me focus a little bit more in my career to feel like the, the impulse to engage in this way is, is covered in, in this new creative way that used to be my profession, but now, like, yeah, work as a, you know, work, work in nursing for a little bit or, or work on something else or uh, pursue a new uh, artistic project that might have felt selfish because you, you, know, you couldn't connect it to something or you couldn't sell it, but you just wanted to do it because a lot of the, a lot of that engagement is now done almost automatically through the business and also helping others sort of do the same thing. And there are a lot of ways to be engaged. It's certainly not, uh, not a reason to not engage in other ways, but it's a nice way of doing a little bit with something that you were already doing or hopefully something you were already purchasing. I don't think a lot of people come to city line because I'm doing a promotion like this. It's just sort of, an added part of the transaction that uh, I also learned through other makers helps people get over that lingering bit of buyer's remorse as people approach that purchase page online where will they want this? Should I get this? Is it a little expensive? And between offering uh, 
seasonal or product specific discounts or connecting things to people, uh, the causes that people care about or allowing them to choose them and donate specifically and then just send me you know, confirmation for a, a discount or, or a place in a raffle has been a really nice way of connecting to customers and letting them know that uh, we care about what they care about. I love this business model. I really do. <clears throat> I just, um, lots of places are like, oh, we give a little to this, you know, and they pick one. And I love how, uh, one, you're doing your research on who, you know, sort of is approved <laughs> by you for your company, which is totally fair. But mm-hmm. also you're giving people an option, which I think is lovely. And b- that said, what's one that you say is a great, you know, because you've done the research. What's a great place for people to donate? Whichever, which, for whatever reason, you know, something that's more evergreen than maybe Australian tires, though. <laughs> you know, I mean, it that, may come back. It's supposed to be a bad year. But, you know, like, what's something that you, you know, you're confident that it's a good place for people to donate? Yeah, letting people choose their own or, or giving them topical information was, was great. I I generally like local chapters of the Red Cross because you never, uh, you're never entirely sure if they're getting all the resources they need to, to serve a specific region that, that has a lot of problems. I also love donating to uh, specific regional things. So I guess my answer, is, the, the answer to your general question is, um, I love donating to specific things, which are often regional. Um, so for people in Philly, I'd have a lot of recommendations like uh, Project Home, but I, because that's they're always helping, they're always, you know, slowly turning behind the scenes. They were, uh, you know, created with an endowment. And they run a great operations in the neighborhood just south of me that include uh, a a very innovative. A way for people to get homes who need them in the short term and the medium term and also support each other through uh, you know improving their lives and, and getting local jobs and a lot of it was funded by uh, by the project home foundation which is um, I think created by John Bon Jovi and Queen Latifah <laughs> also <laughs> semi semi local um, celebrities and so that's one of my favorites but I also encourage people who are uh, either in Philly or outside of it to, you know, to find something that's very local because that's usually what can get overlooked by other donators. They don't have budgets for big media campaigns or lobbying like a lot of other very worthy organizations, but huge organizations that also have the large overhead that people are wary of these days. Right. And it also kind of matches the the Maker Fair model where you know, we're approaching you with as smaller organizations or sometimes just individuals or families that make one-of-a-kind goods and I also like supporting the organizations that are serving one-of-a-kind needs because they're often the ones that get overlooked. Thank you. I know you didn't want to name somebody specifically. I could tell them <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to get a local name from you. I didn't so have I one in, in mind right away. But, uh, <laughs> no actually that now that you pressed me I do I do have one and it, it's Project Home but yeah it's yeah. I also have a soft spot for the ASPCA. <laughs> there are a lot of animals that need help too. Yeah. You must be very busy with that, uh, you know, the your work and making things and you're running a business. Uh, so, I, so I wonder, how do you manage your, your day? What does a typical day look like for you? Oh, I'd love to have a typical day. Um, with, 
<laughs> so I, when I first started, I, I had a, I had a full-time job at Temple University as a, as a, um, as a research director. And the people in my office were, for one thing, they're lovely people and I'd love to work with them again, but also very supportive of, of my business. And in general, we were all very supportive of each other's side ventures and, and passions. And I, I found that to be a very, uh, you know, nurturing, generous part of this particular office lifestyle. And also really helped me get started is sometimes people were like, I'd love a commission as a Christmas present, or I also love this building when you draw it. I ended up drawing some some buildings at Temple, actually, and, and did a, a mini series of, of tiles for one of their alumni associations. And then I had an, a normal day, uh, which was usually I would get about an hour or two of either drawing or product development or something done uh, each weekday after work and just try to make that a habit and give myself the weekends completely off. When I started doing markets, uh, that definitely most of them happen on weekends, or at least a lot of people are out on uh, in them on the weekends. So I would usually take those times off from doing anything else unless I needed to do just-in-time production on something that had unexpectedly sold out or something that someone had come up to me and said, I like what you do. I need something in a week. Can you do it? And my answer was invariably yes. Could I? <laughs> Let's find out, especially with my family on my side. Like, well, it's better than saying no. And I don't think we've ever not delivered. I, my, my parents have done some amazing things. We had a job for the Philadelphia Eagles that I was immensely proud of. And uh, it was uh, a, a team holiday present to a lot of their sponsors. And my father had to create well, my parents together because it, it took the whole family on this one in a matter of less than three weeks hundreds and hundreds of pieces of merchandise the same wow. set over and over again i think it was almost a thousand individual tiles and you know it, could you do it yes <laughs> <Find out. laughs> it's a great maker attitude uh because we generally find we can if we unless something just is popping up saying no it, this is actually impossible if it's possible we'll do it and that's that's how a lot of uh, a lot of the early business went and it's still it's still going to a certain extent uh lately i guess it's more of a typical week which is I attend to other work, mostly in my healthcare career, three or four days a week, and then work on city line stuff one of the remaining weekdays and give myself a real weekend. Uh, once markets start again, we hope that will probably change, but it's been a great way of getting through what was otherwise a time period in which time was time. You know, we were, a lot of us were stuck at home or even when we had in-person jobs, the you know dead time was undifferentiated. We didn't go out. We didn't yeah. see a lot of our friends, or in some cases, our families. And that that routine was a good way of keeping a weekend for a little bit of reflection and self-care, and working on some of those funny surreal art projects that weren't marketable <laughs> that I still wanted to give myself time to do. And I also city line business was slower, or at least more manageable. So one day a week was a way of handling anything other than immediate customer concerns, like a shipment was late or someone had a, a quick time, a quick turnaround project, which has happened once in the last couple of months. And that was, there were some 16 hour days in there, uh, mm -hmm. but I, I don't expect to run at that pace more than, you know, the, the two or three times a year that someone has a job I just can't say no to. I think it's worth noting. Uh, so your father spent a long time working with the Franklin Mint um, when your family lived in the Philadelphia area. 
And uh, I was just kind of curious, you know, what it's like having the family business and keeping that Philadelphia connection. Uh, your family's up uh, in central Pennsylvania and you're in the Philly area. How does that work with being in two, two different locations? There's a lot of driving and I, I'm lucky that I generally like to drive and also don't mind traffic because between New York and Philly, we have, we have some world-class traffic, but it's, it's always doable when you want to get it done. And especially when there's business to be had or connections to be made, it, it makes it a lot easier. Um, It's also made it to, an easier way to, to see them regularly, to go uh, visit and, you know, as, as an excuse to pick something up and it's always an easy way to schedule getting out of town a little bit. So, uh, and that's also been a way of keeping expenses down, especially as the postal service got um, a bit more unreliable uh, in the end of 2020, which was a problem for a lot of makers who were relying on the postal service to, to make up for not being able to, to get out in person at all. Uh, all of the, the Eagles job I was talking about before, we delivered that whole thing uh, in my car <laughs> right up to the stadium <laughs> gates because there wasn't any other efficient way to get it around. So it's, um, again, when with integrating all of these things into a lifestyle, a lot of them feed into each other, like the the desire to address local concerns or whatever concerns you want to address through a project that's already raising money so that's a good source. The same thing with, uh, with the travel and the connections you have to make. It also makes it a little bit easier to have a family life or, mm. or keep different markets happy. Or another thing has been convincing new markets. That's a, what was originally a hyper-local outfit that still mostly does things in my neighborhood and in my city, you know, why am I making things for, for Lisbon or Sydney and a lot of it is because that experience has taught me what it's like to have pride in these things and have a sense of place with, uh, with products like ours. And one of my favorite things of, to do in a new city or town is to find out from locals, which would be the buildings in a four pack coaster series that I would make of this town. Yeah. And one of my favorite products was I, I did that with Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, which is a lovely early American town out in the sort of Washington DC area, about 60 miles uh, west of it. And it's where Maryland, Virginia and West Virginia come together. And it's, it's, almost, it's also famous for the John Brown insurrection a couple of years before the civil war. So a lot of people come by there and some of them are into military history and some of them are into civil rights history and uh, figuring out which, uh, which buildings to make for that series uh, was was a wonderful trip. And in fact, that was the only place I've been recently because travel has been rough was I went back to Harper's Ferry last month to, to revisit and hike around. So the, the experience of having a sense of local pride has also helped convince a lot of other people I can represent their local pride. Yeah. Very cool. I was going to ask, because I know uh, you work a lot with your parents. Uh, that's admirable. I wondered if you have What's your, what your happiest memory is from childhood? My happiest memory from childhood. That is a tough one. I know it's a left field question. We like to throw some of these in every, every now and then. <laughs> no, it's, it's good to feel challenged. Um, <laughs> we were all very happy when my mom got into grad school. Uh, she got a master's in counseling when starting when I was about nine or 10. And that was the same year that 
we all went to London, which was the first time I ever left the country or saw somewhere um, like, well, like that in any way. I'd been, I guess I'd been to New York at one point, but otherwise lived in Philly and the Philly suburbs. And London was just so grand. And my, also my parents were having such a good time. It was hard not to as well. So yeah, that, that year in which a lot of great things happened for the family, the connection of good memories, but certainly all of us going to London and seeing a lot of these grand ancient buildings that I guess later inspired what I would end up uh, you know, drawing to represent cities and neighborhoods I would see. How about something boring about yourself? Uh, I like to mow the lawn. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if something as boring as watching grass grow, watching people cut, it's probably just as bad. Uh, we have a, the community garden where we set up the, the jolly minus the trolley, trolley, uh, faux trolley, <laughs> as we call it. <laughs> the folly trolley <laughs> oh we just thought of that one it's a good one um <laughs> we we just started our growing season about a month ago and it, things are already crazy we're seeing i mean it's just been such a warm uh hot season yeah see me talking about gardening that's something boring about me i could talk about the weather with you know with anybody because it affects my watering schedule but yeah i learned to to love mowing the lawn uh in in the garden between all of the patches where we grow everything else and my neighbor just got an electric lawnmower and i have to say you have to experience the smell of lawn mowing without the smell of the gasoline fumes it, it's huh. it's just a level up Nice. So again, the fact I can talk this much about mowing the lawn is probably something boring about me. So. Is this a, a Tesla mower? Is it a it's a Tesla. Mower. <laughs> it, it runs on this on just a, a battery the size of a brick that I guess is a lithium ion battery, yeah. just like a cordless drill. Wow, wow. very yeah. cool. It's fantastic. <laughs> I'm doing a community garden too, so this could have been a whole hour of that. <laughs> Well, if you have a community garden podcast, I've been thinking of that recently, <laughs> especially since a lot of us like to create fake names for the wildflowers we're growing to attract bees and butterflies, <laughs> because there's a um, there there's an app that allows you your smartphone to identify plants based mm -hmm. on a photo of the blossom or the leaf or the root structure, and sometimes it says things like the the Latin name also known as uh, Spotted Dick or the Early Handmaiden or St. Christopher's Bells or something like that. And it just inspires us to come up with the silliest names for plants we don't know. That would be a great podcast. I was thinking of starting that. So you're all invited Sorry. to the first episode. Excellent. <laughs> Talk about my hot peppers. Oh, we'll come up with some crazy names for yeah. that. So uh, is there any, any question that you wish we had asked you that we didn't? Oh boy, uh, I, I'm so rarely on podcasts. I I don't really know. I guess you could have asked me what am I doing next. I think that's coming. Actually, that's one of the oh, next well, questions. You cheated. You should yeah. have asked that question last. So, um, what's next for City Light? <laughs> Laura, I don't have any plans. Actually, no. Um, I am hoping to work with the the board of directors of Fort Mifflin, which is a Revolutionary War fort right next to Philly's airport. Uh, that is often overlooked, but it's, um, I guess it is more popular among military historians. 
I know it's the fort that saved the Delaware. It's a, it's an interesting, we probably don't have time to go through its illustrious history, but it's a, it's the oldest currently operating base in the world, I believe. Hmm. And it has a, a, a revolutionary war fort that helped defend Philadelphia as Washington's army retreated to the winter encampment in Valley Forge. So arguably the fort holding out for days against the British Navy was part of what saved the Revolutionary Army. So it, it's, a, it's a big part of American history. But recently it's been more, more interesting to me as a natural habitat where the, the Delaware River uh, has one of its few original looking sections uh, in or around the city of Philadelphia, which has been heavily industrializing the rivers um, on and off for centuries. And there are a lot of interesting amphibious creatures and a lot of birds that find sanctuary there, and also just a lot of animals that live in and around the fort itself. So I've been I've been working with one of the directors to try to figure out if that could become a mural project or something that uh, that Fort Mifflin offers as educational material, and that's something I'm hoping to be developing through the summer. Oh, cool! And also working on some of the the Dream Garden Gangs, uh, which is the the impromptu. A group of artists that did the Jolly Trolley. Um, we're also doing some, I'm hoping some of them will help out with Fort Mifflin and also decorating some local businesses in Brewery Town that are uh, hopefully capitalizing on being open again uh, because I believe today is the first day that Philly has no COVID restrictions. So mm-hmm. looking forward to some, uh, some collaboration, which has really been the thing I have probably missed the most about lockdown was was the inability other than the jolly trolley to to physically work with other artists or even uh like go to a studio class and work in the presence of other artists and it's i I think it's caused a little bit of of a lull in what i've been making or my interest in making it and so that'll be a great part of the rest of this year do you have any questions for the maker community I'd love to know what other people are doing next because I want to be around it and I want to see if it's something I'm interested in helping to make or in inspiring me to make or or buying or giving to someone else for that matter, <laughs> like we all are. And I'm very much looking forward to the opportunity to, to getting uh, getting those answers this year in, in markets. And I'm already trying to work with some organizations that could host markets in Philly and New York and outside Washington to, to get some early uh, Thanksgiving into Christmas bookings for, uh, for markets to offer to, to some, some people who haven't seen our products yet. Nice. So uh, where can people learn more? There is my retail website with a lot of our story and information for commissions and original things at citylinedrawings.com. I'm also posting a lot of new stuff uh, every week as much as I can on Instagram at citylinedrawings. And also you can connect with me on Facebook through citylinedrawings. And I guess that's about it. It's citylinedrawings everywhere. I don't tweet. I'm not, I'm not a creative Twitterer, tw- tweeter. So, <laughs> and as always, for our listeners, we'll put those links on the podcast so you can find everything. Hopefully, that we've talked about today down there. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to to hearing the next one, and and the best of luck with this. And and you're all welcome to my community gardening con- podcast if I get it together. <laughs> yeah, let us know. 
<laughs> bring the peppers well, there. Yeah, I'll bring yeah, peppers. <laughs> well, go get back Sounds to great. making drawings. <laughs> I am. I, I'm actually doing that this afternoon. Yeah. Oh, good. good talking with you, Michael. It, it was, was so great nice meeting you all. You. Thank yep. you so much. See you Same later. Here. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Philly Makeup Fair podcast. We're streaming on all platforms, so join us each week. Learn more about today's podcast at phillymakeupfair.com. We're social, so keep in touch. You can find us on Twitter as PHLMake. Also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, and Pinterest as Philly Maker Fair. All one word. See you, See you next, next week. week.